Pushkin. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Andy Mitchell could be called a doctor for business, but he's not the kind of doctor who does annual wellness checkups. Nope. Andy Mitchell's specialty is more like emergency triage for very, very sick companies. You know they're bad off because of what people tend to call them at this stage, distressed assets. Andy's firm, Lantern Asset Management, buys up businesses in immediate need of cash and willing to sell at bargain basement prices. I wanted to talk to Andy Mitchell because I'm pretty sure someone like him will be involved in some future stage of the company at the center of my next book, the now extremely distressed crypto exchange, FTX. Welcome to On Background from Against the Rules. I'm Michael Lewis. It's possible that no one will be able or willing to revive FTX, which is now in bankruptcy. But I figured Andy Mitchell could tell me how a rehabilitation scenario might go down if a willing buyer came along. One thing I'm finding out about these background interviews... I just get interested in them in their own right, apart from FTX. Andy's world intersects with huge stories in the news, but also junk food you probably ate as a kid. When something goes belly up, people seek him out. I asked him how he knows when to get involved. I like to say, look, I, you know, we, we identify companies that um, have a reason to exist and the reason they're not performing is something you can identify that, that can be fixed and understood. So you find the sick and the wounded, and you try to fix them. But not all the sick and the wounded, just the sick and the wounded that they have hope. I, I said I do a lot of gap analysis, right? What, what should be happening and what is happening, and can you identify the gap in a type of, uh, of understanding of, you know, and, and it, it, as, as you know, a big part of restructuring is do people really understand where they are and where they're going because denial is not just a river in Egypt, right? It's the easiest thing to, to do as a business leader is to say, no, 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 it's, it's, it's the economy, it's COVID. I mean, it's, it's the first thing that investors don't like when management just blames every external factor they can think of. 
And they said, well, do you really understand why it is you are not performing and can you deal with it? And do the things that you buy, are they invariably in bankruptcy or are they sometimes not that far gone? So a lot of the companies that we get involved with are definitely troubled. Uh, the legal term bankruptcy judges like to use is, you know, you've entered the zone of insolvency, right? So if you're in a situation where uh, you're unable to maintain the status quo or to realize your business plan, that's that's usually when we come in. And, and honestly, the one defining thing that brings us in most of the time is, is first thing I ever learned in, out of business school, cash is king. So when liquidity becomes tight, that's usually when people start having to look for different solutions. If you have a lot of cash, it's amazing how long you can languish in non-performance land. If you've got time and liquidity, you can work through a lot of things. But as soon as people start cutting off that that lifeblood of any company, which is the cash it needs to pay its bills they come to, you really enter a different stage. And that's unfortunately most of the time we get involved, whether it's in court or out of court, it's a time at which the company realizes that in the not too distant future, they're not going to be able to make their payments as they come due. What would have been the first case? What's the first time you saw something you said, this sick and wounded business can be repaired and I'm going to buy it? You know, I actually, so I, um, there's a company called Interstate Bakeries. If you remember, they made Wonder Bread and Twinkies right. and whatnot. And right around the time that Michelle Obama correctly came out and said, hey, we need to worry about childhood obesity, they had uh, $3 billion of sales, but really started to have a top line issue. What does that mean, a top line issue? I remember I was sitting in the room the first time I met with the CEO. And uh, of course, there's a plate of Twinkies in the middle of the room. And he said, you want a Twinkie? I said, no, absolutely not. He goes, that's the problem. <laughs> not enough people eat <laughs> Twinkies. So it, it really, uh, you know, it was fundamental. Now, the real problem with Interstate Bakeries was actually, if you look behind the scene, they were making $3 billion, and yet they were losing $100 million in cash flow. And it's because it cost them so much to distribute their product. It was a highly unionized um, workforce. And the problem was, is that they had grown through acquisitions. So they'd acquired something like 50 bakeries in the United States. But each time they acquired a bankruptcy, they simply adopted or absorbed the existing union contract. So when I sat down with the Teamsters, even they were troubled. They said, you know, Andy, here's the problem. We have 50 different contracts in this company. And so if you were to draw a line on where we want to settle, you've got guys that have a better deal, guys that have a worse deal. So it's really difficult to herd cats here. So, you know, that company, that company had a top line problem that could be managed. It had a cost structure issue that again you had to work through the unions and whatnot but could be managed because when you looked at their competitors you know they were doing 10 15 percent margins and here we were at negative margins there's something disturbing about the idea of every time someone eats a twinkie the company that makes it is losing money too like <laughs> it's not good for anybody <laughs> right i mean they're not even making a profit off the twinkies they're sort of subsidizing the twinkies that's news to me. So you're so this is the first problem you deal with on your own. Well, this is the this is the first major target you know that came up. Now that probably was a bad one to bring up because unfortunately it went through uh, not only a chapter eleven but it went through a chapter twenty two, which is the joking term in the industry for a second bankruptcy, and then finally it liquidated. So in the in the end, it didn't end up working. It did not end up working. Uh, the guys that eventually bought it uh, basically did what had to be done, which is they shut the whole thing down, tore up all the union agreements. And then once everything was still, they took the brands, restarted it and, and made a huge profit. But unfortunately it took, uh, using the bankruptcy code to jettison all those union agreements and everything else. Cause it just, 
um, no matter how deep, and it, that's a whole different series is, you know, dealing with collective bargaining and how to make it a win-win for everybody. So that wasn't, but that wasn't you. You didn't end up buying the Twinkie company. No, I didn't. Hold that thought. After a short break, we're going to hear all about a distressed asset Andy did buy. And it's distress, which was considerable. We'll be right back. I've interviewed many successful people over the years. And one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. I'm back with Andy Mitchell, Managing Director of Lantern Asset Management. In this next part, I ask him about his most famously distressed asset. Want to guess what that was? Here's a clip from CBS This Morning. In 2017, New York Times reporters Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy uncovered stories of Weinstein's alleged sexual harassment igniting the Me Too movement. Let's talk about uh, your experience buying Harvey Weinstein's company. So tell me how you f- stumble into that in the first place. Well, that one, uh, you know, had a pre-identifiable problem, right, which is had a management issue. <laughs> I jokingly say, well, how did you get into Weinstein? It's well, they had a management problem. So he gets, he gets charged with sexual assault. And then what happens? When, when the New York Times dropped their bombshell story 
right? It put in place uh, a number of events that, that quickly escalated beyond control. Now, if you look at the Weinstein Company, it had a lot of problems before the New York Times did that story. This liquidity was strained. It had a serial borrower of money. And even though it had a lot of successful movies, the unsuccessful movies were worth bringing it down. It'd be like talking about a mutual fund saying, well, they have 10 great stocks. I'm like, yeah, but they have 50 bad stocks. So unfortunately, you don't get to just talk about the 10 positive ones, except maybe in Hollywood. So they were, were, they, were they losing money? Oh, they, they, they were already insolvent before the situation with Harvey had erupted. I didn't realize that. Okay. The Weinstein Company, um, they're good at making movies, but definitely not great at contracts and accounting and whatnot. A number of different things were in disarray. But ultimately, what got me to the table was once the story broke, all the creditors started panicking. Because if Harvey was going to be removed from the company, what do you hate the man or like the man or love his movies? He was seen as the creative energy behind the entire thing. And without him, the belief was that there was no Weinstein company. And so creditors started to pull back, not to mention with what was going on in terms of the negative reaction, the Me Too movement, this global movement, it also became toxic, right? First, there was a business problem. Then it became people didn't want to be associated with it. They didn't want to carry the movies and television shows on TV. They were worried about uh, people boycotting it. And where are you physically when that this happens? Where are you living? So I'm living in Dallas, Texas. Right, the last place you'd expect to find somebody to go to Hollywood and invest. We got a call from uh, actually one of our uh, limited partners called up and said, "Hey, you know, a partner of ours has a has a movie that's going to get caught up in this. How do we get it out of this process?" Oh, that's that was your way in. Someone called and asked how you could extract a single movie from the Weinstein Company. What movie was it? Uh, it was uh, called War with Grandpa with Robert right. De Niro. So. It had not been released yet. And, you know, it's just a fear of the investor was, well, what happens if we get stuck in this bankruptcy and the movie doesn't get released? And, you know, you've spent all this money making this movie, right? You've got all this money on the table. In fact, there was six movies stuck during the period that we bought. Another one's called Upside. Great movie. Strangely about a turnaround guy. Brian Cranston plays a turnaround advisor. It's about a quadriplegic. Uh-huh. So this was a movie that wasn't yet done, but they had put considerable money into it. And even though you had Kevin Hart, Nicole Kidman, a great cast, it became the cloud of uncertainty over the entire Weinstein, which is what if America boycotts this? So the creditors, everybody was in this perpetual state of fear. And so we came in and ended up meeting with a couple parties that were said, look, this is a good business. It just needs a change of management. And we don't deserve to lose years and years of work as a result of what what Harvey did. So um, there was a process. Can we do it outside of court? I Meaning, does it have to? Does it have to be thrown into bankruptcy? Yeah. Does it? Does it have to go into right. bankruptcy? Was was the kind of question du jour, and uh, most people would rather do a deal outside of bankruptcy. What they don't realize is it's actually a very highly effective tool in order to to help the company get back on its feet. And it's to me, it's the entire reason our bankruptcy code exists. Is that a company that continues to go in concern is most likely more valuable than a company that is is liquidated and dissolved. So what did you do with Harvey Weinstein's business? So I took the position early on with a number of the members of the board and the advisor that there was no way to buy the company outside of bankruptcy. And the main reason was, is, is when you buy a company, it sometime inherits all of those claims and all those legacy liabilities that exist at that time. And people were still trying to figure out daily, you know, what the liabilities were, who, who was to blame, 
how much uh, what Harvey did infiltrated it, whether or not there was HR claims, whether or not there was an, you know it was an internal. And if you and if you bought if you bought it before bankruptcy, you, you'd inherit all those problems. And if anybody anybody want to sue for anything Harvey Weinstein ever did, you'd be liable. That 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 was my yeah. position because every single day at that time there was another uh, claim popping up against the company, either non-payment or uh, the victims, and and so there was just it, it was just a absolute it's like hitting a bee's nest. It's a swarm around this company of people making claims against it, and so it, it to me it was a classic. It needed to go into bankruptcy just to to stop the clock for a moment, take a deep breath, assess what's there, and then reorganize the company. What did you see in this company that was valuable? The library. I mean, it was 299 movies that America loved. And, and actually, they loved worldwide, right? You had the Quentin Tarantino collection. You had movies like King's Speech. You had The Butler. You had Silver Linings Playbook. You had Project Runway television show. You had Yellowstone. And Hollywood took this position of nobody's going to watch this again because of what Harvey did. Everybody's going to boycott it across America. And this is, this is tainted goods. What they didn't realize is people in Kansas and Houston and Dallas, they didn't even know who Harvey Weinstein was to begin with. You know, as I said, you know, usually when the credits are playing at the beginning of a movie, most Americans are still getting their popcorn or getting their seat. The concept to me that people weren't going to watch the, you know, weren't going to watch Paddington Bear, for example, we bought Paddington Bear, that my daughter wasn't going to watch Paddington Bear because of Harvey Weinstein. It was just ridiculous. I said, you know, and you could, and I knew in bankruptcy, you could buy it free and clear of all the other claims and you could separate the good from the bad, which is what bankruptcy at its heart, it does to maximize value is it lets somebody buy it without the worrying about, well, what about so-and-so, you know, gives them a format through the bankruptcy court in order to resolve their claims and disputes and allows the company to go on and survive. So I said, if we can just get the library out of this alone, there'll be sufficient value. Well, so tell me, tell me what happened in the bankruptcy. Like how come there aren't dozens of people trying to buy this library and how can you get it at a, at a decent price? In March of 2018, we entered the bankruptcy with the company and said, here, the company's filing bankruptcy, but don't worry. We already have a, a, a white knight they're going to acquire the asset. I set up a company called Land Entertainment as the vehicle to come in and buy it. And the number that people love to quote is, well, what can you read in a bankruptcy court? So the bankruptcy court said I bought was, was a stocking horse for $289 million of cash. Um, what people always forget is it's not just the cash you pay. It's also the liabilities you assume that matter. So with all the claims that we assumed and everything else, we're probably in an area of $400 million. Mm-hmm. Right. You, did you did you assume any of the claims that might have been filed against Harvey? No. I'm just curious. What claims did you assume? So what we were able to do is, uh, and this is all very public. So we yeah. went in and said, look, we're prepared to buy all the assets for X. And here are the claims that we're prepared to assume. And there are certain claims that if you don't assume, you're not going to get approved as a stocking horse. So a stocking yep. horse by model is pr- to provide a floor bid. You're the first bid in an auction. You can, I can always bid more, but you're not supposed to bid less as a stocking horse. So you come in with a floor bid and you say, here's what I'm willing to assume. Here's what I'm willing to pay. And that bid gets put together as an order and then gets put out there for all the other bidders. So I came out in March as a stocking horse with the company to say, hey, it's not going to be obliterated from the earth. There's a buyer here. They're going to hire the employees and there's going to be a plan. And then we entered the auction. What I didn't expect... Um, and I may hold a record. I don't know. You have to check with your bankruptcy historians. 96 parties objected to my bid as stocking horse. 
Why? Um, you know, when Meryl Streep files an objection to your bid, it tends to make news, right? A number of people objected saying, well, your honor, he hasn't said what he's going to do with my claim. He hasn't said that he's going to assume my claim. I don't think that he has a right to buy the movie without. So all those types of objections, right? Yeah. So Meryl Streep's in a movie and she's got a piece of the movie and she's still not seeing her cash. And somebody told her, hey, you know what? It's going through a bankruptcy. Somebody's buying it. If you want to get paid or you want to make a claim, now's the time. So there was a bit of a pile on. And a lot of it was because the records were so bad that they didn't even know. And and to be honest with you, nobody had filed bankruptcy in this much of uh, disarray. I mean, Weinstein had talent they hadn't paid in five years. But it was unclear about, well, did he just give him another movie? What did he do? Was there some other form of payment? So it was there was a lot of noise around the case that got debated in a bankruptcy court about who had a claim, what the amount of their claim was, and whatnot. You're getting an education in Hollywood. Yes. In the, what, what are your takeaways? As someone who's a complete outsider walking into this place, um, what strikes you? How's it different than you might have expected? When people are losing money, the first thing they do is look for somebody to blame other than themselves, right? Yep. Whose fault is it? Why am I not getting paid? You know, who is getting paid? And so people start um, getting very upset about where they are in line, what claim they have, learn the difference between what they think they have and what they actually have in contractual rights. And in Hollywood, it wasn't just money. It was personal, right? So you know, I say money is the root of all evil, but then you add fame and, well, the rules don't apply to me. I'm so-and-so. And it was interesting to watch uh, Judge Walrath. Mary Walrath was the presiding judge uh, who's been on the bench in Delaware a long time, very experienced practitioner. And people would come in and they kind of had this, do you know who my client is? <laughs> and she was very like, I don't really care who your client is. The bankruptcy code doesn't have exceptions for, you know, Oscar winners. I'm sorry. So it, I think that was the most interesting thing and probably the biggest thing that we... And people are like, what do you expect? I said, I don't know. I thought I was just going to buy a movie collection out of bankruptcy and do what I do. Right, right. So what happened in the auction? Did you be, were you able to buy it at the floor price, or were there other people who came in and bid? I paid below what my opening price was, which if, if you'd asked me beforehand, I'd said I've never seen that happen, that you actually the stocking horse actually lowered the bid and still closed the deal. And there was a very tense point right before the auction because there was a number of guys bidding but people were trying to come in and bid on individual films right somebody wanted to come in and buy Django Unchained and Glorious Bastards but they didn't want the rest of it and so they said well I'll give you x million for that and if you're a practitioner on the other side you'd love to just put together the sum of the parts until you hit a bigger number well I took the approach of hey man I don't know what's good and bad so if I don't get everything I'm out which upset a lot of people right it was all or nothing But then what I realized is they couldn't even tell me the status of certain payments. They couldn't tell me certain claims. And it became a lot more complicated than they anticipated. There became a real question about whether or not they could deliver the assets to me under the terms that I had set out. Sure. Because the the claims were more complicated than they knew. Right. I had a, I thought a, a real argument that they could not deliver the assets in the status that they said. So we basically said we wanted a massive purchase price reduction and they threatened to sue. There was a lot of back and forth in the press and, you know, people here, here's Wall Street coming in with this restructuring professional that's trying to, but I I was just being, to me, a good fiduciary of my, of my responsibility to my investors, which is, hey, if you can't deliver what I said, I'm not going to pay it. So I actually, we mutually agreed to a purchase price reduction and I closed. And what, what did you buy it for? Uh, I was like a $25 million reduction off the top. 
What's the most interesting claim you took on that you didn't expect to? The, you know, the biggest one that, that hung over in that case was, what about the victim's claim? What happened about the, the women that have claims and who's going to pay that? I mean, you remember this time he had, he was allegedly, he was accused. There was no judgment against him. You know, it took three years for them to work it out with the court, what they got. But, you know, to me, that wasn't a position of a bidder to take. What was amazing is how many people said, no, no, you, you, you have some obligation to pay. But I said, look, I've got five kids, two of them are daughters. I'm not the one that's going to set an amount on how do you, what's proper for what allegedly happened. So we, we avoided it. Um, but it was amazing how much it came back to us time and time again of, well, why aren't you assuming or paying something or doing something in that realm? And it, they, by the way, those victims had a voice in this case throughout the entire end. Uh, yeah, the insurance plays into it. There's a number of things that come to bear when um, people are charging not just the manager, but with the company with the crime, which is, you know, again, an FTX issue. Right. Right. So I want to talk about FTX now, but before, just just finish the Weinstein conversation. How's the company doing now? How did it work out? Uh, I'm happy to say after five years, six years, you know, once we got, once Land Entertainment got outside of uh, bankruptcy, we, we, we hired a number of people back. We, we cut deals with the producers and the distributors. We released The Upside at the beginning of 2019. Uh, everybody thought the movie would be boycott, did $130 million worldwide, did very, very well. Project Runway that everybody thought would kind of go down with the stream. Uh, we work with Bravo to relaunch the show. Um, so the, the companies, what I think should have happened is once you got outside the the storm, you know, these are great movies and great television shows, and they went on to uh, to, to continue in success. So we've been very happy. Uh, the company's doing well. On Background, we'll be right back. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. 
And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. I'm back with Andy Mitchell. We just heard how his firm dealt with one majorly distressed asset, the Weinstein Company, which is fascinating. But I actually called him to get his take on what the future might hold for FTX, another company that's sliding down the twin tracks of bankruptcy and criminal charges against its founder. FTX, valuation is the biggest question. And I, I think that was the case beforehand. Uh, there's a lot of volatility in this. You know, I try to explain to my kids, what's, what's, what's crypto, what's this? I said, it's digital gold, right? We've created a digital currency that has value, and the value of that has swung wildly over time. So I think that was the first time you did invest the FTX, when it hit the wall and where it is now, is what is the underlying asset really worth? To value a movie is pretty straightforward, especially if it released in a box office, right? Oh, it did 150 yep. million. You can almost predict with science how well it's going to do on streaming platforms and whatnot. It just follows. There's a lot of data out there. Cryptocurrencies is is, is a much wider swing, right? It's early adoptions, yep. early products. I think valuation is going to be the hardest part of this uh, equation. Yeah, I mean, he's got he bought. $5 billion worth of venture capital assets, like companies, pieces of companies. What about valuing those? This one is going to be tough because it's, you know, there's a lot, when it's easy to value something, you can get a lot of experts in a room and probably if there's 10 of them, more than five are going to go the same direction. This mm -hmm. one, you could have 10 different views in the room with 10 experts. Um, mm -hmm. From zero, it's worthless, <laughs> to you know, it's it's in hibernation. It's going to be worth a lot. It's just there's an uncertainty right now to um, those that believe, you know, those guys made good investments. They just got caught at a bad time and a run on a bank and it wasn't their fault, which I'm assuming is uh, Sam's uh, preferred story. Is that <laughs> you know, if, if you guys hadn't ran and pulled all your deposits out, we, we wouldn't have been in this situation. I, I wouldn't have had to do what I did. Is the volatility of the assets or the difficulty of valuing the assets, uh, does that make this a pretty special bankruptcy case or are there others like it? I, I think this would make it one of the most difficult cases is that the broader the range of views of value in a bankruptcy, the harder it is to get to a deal. I don't think there's anybody that could come buy all these assets or would right now. Maybe the crypto, you could put it in a bucket and say, well, look, there's, there's transparency in the exchange. We can look at it on other exchanges. But I think there's going to be such a huge range of values for whatever's left that that's going to create a problem. Um, he had a, made $500 million investment in an AI company called Anthropic. Half a billion dollars. If you're running the bankruptcy or you're running the company right now, how do you maximize the return on that? Like, how do you go about unloading a, a venture capital portfolio? I would look to when, when Lehman went down, right? When you looked at Lehman's assets, um, you, you had to start to put them in three buckets. 
right? Assets that just just sell them quick. They're they're melting ice cubes. They're going to go down in value. We just need to get them off our books. Uh, at the other end, you had assets that were so good and so readily available in pricing. There was a lot of demand for it. You just sold it. And then they ended up with a whole lot of stuff in the middle, which is, mm-hmm. okay, it's not a melting ice cube. There's not a ready market for it. So we shouldn't just assume it's garbage until we should take some time and figure it out. Now, that's very expensive in bankruptcy, but there that is a time when you got to separate the assets from the liabilities and say, hey, can we at least put them into a trust or something? That was a problem with the look. Going back to Weinstein, if you were trying to sell it under those conditions when everybody was, you know, pitchforks and torches, let's go burn everything that says the Weinstein on it, it was pretty hard to sell. Everybody was scared of it. You get six months away and people are like, ah, everybody's watching Padding the Bear. It doesn't really matter. So it's the same kind of thing is there's a bit of a a stigma. If I'm the professional sitting there uh, looking at this saying, okay, I'd rather have the benefit of time. Let me get it away from the situation so that it doesn't get caught up in the contamination or the, the value drag of well, anything that Alameda or Sam touched is now toxic. And so I think it has to go through, if, if the longer runway they can get, the better. So you want to draw this out? Uh, again, it depends on the asset. That's why I told people, like, you don't. I mean, there's yeah. certain assets that, um, you know, if you're, if you're not investing in, if you're not taking care of it, if key people are leaving, if IP's walking out the door, like, it's one of the reasons I, I support the fact they filed bankruptcy quickly. But when you're coming about disposable assets, the it's, it's valuation 101, right? Which is you want to sell when no when the seller is not has no compulsion to sell and the buyer has no compulsion to buy. That's the honest price, right? And so if you sell under duress or at a time of uncertainty, it's hard to get the best price. So if you really yeah. believe you have a winner, you want to create an environment where it gives you time, and it, and creditors think that way too. Which is you know they they have different views of value. And they're like, well, I don't want you to sell it right now. Let's let's get through this and let's get that company stable and away from uh, FTX or away from Alameda in that case, right? And uh, let's let's get some independent management in there and really see what it's worth. The sum of the parts here has to be greater than the whole, right? So this is not like Weinstein yes. where you can go, hey, just buy FTX, right? I mean, there was, it's like, or just buy Alameda, right? Just come in and buy no, the whole thing. you'd fund. be like buying someone's attic, the contents of someone's attic or basement. Yeah. It's such a disparate collection of things. Yeah, and, and you, don't, you don't want to go with the, you know, um, storage uh, unit approach. Like, hey, just buy whatever's in here. <laughs> you know, some's good, some bad. But, I mean, this one, I, I got to believe that, uh, not knowing much about Alameda, but if they made 20 investments, they should go out with basically a 20-part information memorandum that says, here's what they bought, Here's what it is. You have an opportunity to take their place in this position. What would what, what you go for? Right? right. And you'd look at those. You look at those. And, you know, that, that's the issue that comes up with creditors and whatnot because creditors are differently situated. There's creditors that just want to be paid off and want a nightmare to be over. And I want to go on to the next thing. And there's other creditors who know they're going to have an ongoing relationship with this company or some facet of the company. Right? Uh, they're owed money, but at the same time, maybe they have an exchange or they have an interest in exchange. And... They're quasi-strategic in their interest. What do you think will happen to FTX in the end? How long, you think this is going to play out over many, many, many years? Or do you think that it could be simpler than that? I think you've got two pieces here, right? you got FTX, which was the exchange. Me, personally, I have to believe that business is dead. Mm. The people that run exchanges is based on the reputation of the exchange is that it's an honest place in order for you to exchange goods. It's very transparent and everybody's playing by the same rules. And 
that's dead forever. The name FTX is, you might as well restart Lehman Brothers. It's been so tarnished and it's such a lack of confidence in, in what they did and what's happened, at least what people know. You know, if, if I'm running this thing, that's the first thing I'm going to do, which is, well, is there some architecture or structure that somebody did to create the legitimate exchange that if you were to change the name has real value? So mm-hmm. could FTX live on in another form? Yes, because people need to trade. I can't keep track anymore of the number of digital currencies out there. So they right. need an honest exchange. Then you look at Alameda, and look, it's, it was just a fund. So yep. the, the fund's gone, but you know the investments they made, to your point, may, may have real value. And I'm sure that's going to be his defense is, look, these were valuable companies, and you can't say I committed a crime because at that certain point in time, the value of that's severely depressed. And, and they were venture capital, to your point. They were, these were highly risky and highly speculative investments. Right? Venture meaning new, new uncharted territory. Um, so I do think a lot of those investments they made are probably still going to make it out. Now, if they sh- never should have made them, they're probably problematic to begin with. I mean, it's, it's, um, I think what a lot of people seem to be saying is that he didn't really know what he was doing, so he was out investing in every scheme that crypto had available and so yep. you, you're going to have a lot it's just absolute junk in here if you if you imagine us 10 years in the future who what kind of person is going to make a killing off the ftx bankruptcy and as i see here today i i don't think it's going to be a good story because it's it's not <laughs> like you know there's unless they get lucky i, I don't see it being a phoenix coming from the ashes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be a very long slog to regain trust. Technical, You're going to earn the comeback of this, right? So it's going to be somebody who buys it and takes a long time to say, okay, how do we earn back trust? How do we create real value in this exchange? And it's just going to take time to do. I don't think there's any quick, you know, hero story here that is going to emerge. And that's why I'd have no idea who wants to buy it because it's this, this is going to be real work. And you're almost better off just starting a new exchange. What about a quick hero story in the purchase of the $5 billion venture portfolio? If you look at the $5 billion in investments, again, you'd have to go investment by investment. What is it that they invested in? Uh, because there's a lot of useful things in blockchain and, and coins that are created that are creating real value. And if you were to come in when nobody wanted to touch it and buy it and stabilize it and carry it through, I'll meet it. Alameda, right? Uh, There's probably a lot to work with, right? There's probably, but again, your your first objective is to buy it and get it as far away from FTX as possible, right? Right? It's almost like you don't want to admit where you found it. (laughs) Where'd you buy that? (laughs) Ah, you know, through my banker, right? No, because as soon as you say I bought it from FTX, like, oh, you sure it's not? It's just human tendency, right? It's just it's the scarlet A, if you will. Yep. All right. So my producers dug up this quote. I think it's pretty funny Uh, that you said. People have called you an opportunistic capitalist, tombstone stealer, and raider. <laughs> but you consider what you do to be effective altruism. Why? Look, I really believe that, you know, that the, the world moves in cycles. You go up, you go down, right? You have good days and bad days. You live in a binary world. And so going out and saying, I want to find weak and underperforming assets and buy them and, and bring them back to where they should be, to me, is a very noble pursuit. But yep. human tendency is when somebody succeeds to say, well, they, they must have cheated, they must have done something. And the more you succeed, the more you must have 
somehow done something that wasn't right. I, yeah. There are people that are like, shame on you for making money on the Weinstein company. You came across and took advantage of the situation. You know, shame on you, right? It's, uh, I always said, if I wrote a book about my life, the opening line would be, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Because I look at it as I bought an, a, an asset that thousands of people worked on to make movies and television shows. And then I took it from a position of almost going into the abyss and put it back into, you know, people are enjoying it and, you know, the creditors did well and I paid more and assumed more than anybody else would do. But if you were the one that lost money and got wiped out, the guy who buys FTX and makes money is somehow evil. I really appreciate you doing this for us. No, no, it's good. Hopefully it's fun and, and I'm excited. Yeah, to, it was totally fun. I'm excited uh, to read this book. It's it's a really fun book to write. All right. See you later. All right. See you later. Andy Mitchell is Managing Director of Lantern Asset Management, a private equity firm focused on business turnarounds and restructurings. On Background is hosted by me, Michael Lewis, and produced by Catherine Girardot and Lydia Jean Kopp. Our editor is Julia Barton. Our engineer is Sarah Bruguer. Jake Flanagan helps us with licensing. Our show is recorded by Topher Ruth at Berkeley Advanced Media Studios. Our music was composed by Matthias Bossy and John Evans of Stellwagen Symphonette. Owen Miller published each and every episode. On Background is a production of Pushkin Industries. Don't forget that we have the website atrpodcast.com in case you want to send me a question or a complaint or anything else. That's atrpodcast.com. Watch this feed for the launch of the next season of Against the Rules. Until then, to find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to listen ad-free and learn about other exclusive offerings, don't forget to sign up for Pushkin Plus subscription at pushkin.fm slash plus or on our Apple Show page. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started.
Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started.